We've mentioned human cooperation on this show a couple of times, most notably episode 12. The reason we discuss cooperation is that it's a crucial component to the successful transition towards global sustainability. Like it or not, the people on this planet will have to work together. There are some who think this is a naive notion. They think that people aren't inherently good or naturally cooperative. And it's difficult to champion the goodness of humanity when we engage in profoundly stupid and terrible things like genocides. With that in mind, we need to explore if relying on the idea of global cooperation makes sense. We're going to take a fairly known business concept and apply it to human decency to see if we can come to a conclusion. Is it a bit of a stretch? Once again, that's up to you to decide. But cooperation and human decency is an objection that will be raised when we present our strategies. So we're going to do our best to prove humanity is mostly decent. See last episode for more details about sales objections. We were curious if anyone had already suggested the connection we're going to present, so we researched it to see if anyone had. We're not ones to try and steal credit. We love name dropping, because it provides us with the legitimacy we so sorely need. We were unable to find anything, but as always, we encourage you to email us if we overlooked someone. There was an interesting thing that came up during our search. Another thing we talk about so much we probably sound like a broken record. Ethics in business. We left more specifics at the end of the episode, but here's the excerpt that we stumbled upon. The theory of business organization that is taught in economic classrooms throughout the country, and reiterated in corporate circles as well, argues that the corporation has to maximize itself regardless of the effects on the environment outside the firm. Welfare of the employees, health of the communities, and loyalty to suppliers, customers, and the nation itself are taken into consideration only as a means for maximizing the corporation's wealth. Remember back in episode 12, where we mentioned that ethics are a learned thing that are often taught in schools? Well, does this possibly sound like they were teaching the exact opposite? Businesses behave the way they do, partially because we taught them to behave this way in business schools. To be fair, this was written in 1990, so it's not exactly a recent source. But we often ask ourselves how we got the world to this unsustainable point. Is it actually due to people not inherently thinking that cooperating or goodness is more beneficial? Or... Did we incorrectly educate a generation of economists and business people? A lot of the knowledge, in our well of knowledge, see episode 22, has been added with the trial and error principle. Collectively, our species has made an error. Wrongfully assuming only profits are important to a business. This error is partially responsible for having an unsustainable planet, and it is very slowly being corrected by early adopters adapting the people, planet, profits, business mantra into their business models and strategies. I know we haven't yet revisited everything we said we would in previous episodes, but you better bet your bottom dollar we'll be revisiting this one. Speaking of goodness, you know what else is good? Our intro. Welcome to Viable Underdogs. 
where we try and teach you cool things and hopefully encourage everyone to become a bit more sustainable. My name is John, the top performing Carlos is with me as well. This is episode 24. Today we're applying a popular concept, Pareto's principle, to factors such as human decency. Then we're exploring adoption curves to try and determine how many people we'd have to convince for global traction. This is important since global cooperation is crucial to a successful transition to sustainability. Chances are, even if you're unfamiliar with the name Pareto, you've heard it used before. 80% of the world's resources are used by 20% of its population. 20% of a business's customers make up 80% of its sales. This is also present in the field of sustainability. Here is an example of a report on emissions, sometimes used by those who attempt to shift blame on sustainability. The report, written by a nonprofit, CDP, breaks down the emissions these companies have been responsible for since 1988. Written in 2017, it claims that 71% of the world's emissions are caused by only 100 companies. See how we used only again? This illustrates Pareto's principle well, by showing an unequal distribution on the ownership of fossil fuels. What's crazy is that 71% is quite close to the theoretical 80% used in the 80-20 rule. It's not that nothing can be learned by reading and presenting a study like this, but we are all complicit in the purchase of these products, in some form or another. Fossil fuels are used to produce electricity, ship and produce food, and many of the goods we buy, just as a few examples. So placing blame exclusively on those companies ignores the fact that we are all somewhat responsible. The 80-20 rule, or Pareto's principle, was developed by Vilfredo Frederico Damaso Pareto when he noticed things like land ownership are distributed unequally. Joseph Moses Duran, a management consultant, then applied this principle to many management concepts. Pareto's principle has no shortage of areas where it can be applied to if you want to do some additional research. For instance, we're willing to bet that for many of you, 80% of the outfits you wear out probably come from 20% of your wardrobe. And this principle doesn't necessarily have to add up to 100% either. For some of you, it's possible 20% of your wardrobe makes up 100% of the outfits worn. Might be time to retire those Uggs and Crocs. Not that we're judging. We're still pleading our fashion case that wearing thong sandals with socks is the coolest thing ever. Now, we're going to take Pareto's principle and apply it to a field of professionals, educators. We're not trying to pick on teachers though, so please don't give us any detention. Using Pareto's rule, we can try and determine if the majority of educators do in fact care deeply about the success of their students, or if the majority don't care and are only looking to gain a paycheck. This occurs in many fields, and we could have explored different fields instead. But maybe, much like Van Halen, teachers just have a special place in our hearts. Being a teacher is challenging for many reasons. But one reason especially is that it's part of a small group of professions where the majority of the work cannot be performed without an audience watching over your work. What this means is a teacher cannot teach without students. Go figure. But this means that any mistake 
error in tone of communication, or on days where a teacher is just tired or stressed, their work is being watched by a classroom of students. And this is the reason why it's one of the few professions where there are review sites online rating the performance of each individual. Not the organization, not the field of professionals, but the individuals themselves. I have had some teachers in the past that were less than stellar at their jobs. Chances are, we all have. Every field has three types of performers. Top performers, average performers, and low performers. And this is compounded with issues like working conditions and job satisfaction. Even if you're the best teacher, it may be hard to continuously perform at top level when there are bureaucratic problems and inefficiencies making your job much more difficult than it should be. Top that off with a number of uncaring students, annoying parents, and other factors, and you might find that the pool of average teachers increases while the pool of top performers decreases. There are no shortage of stories out there talking about problems like teachers paying for their own school supplies as another unfortunate example of the difficulties associated with teaching. But personally, I think I can safely say that around 80% of the teachers I have had were either average or top performer. I've had some excellent teachers as well. Using Pareto's principle, it could be presumed that 20% are responsible for the horror stories you hear about poor performing teachers. This means that the overwhelming majority of teachers, 80%, have their students' best interests at heart. Maybe it's even more than that, 90-10, instead of 80-20. The thing is, you can see how even if it's 10% of teachers are not good at their jobs, you get a high number of students that have been negatively affected. And since a teacher can be teaching anywhere from 20 students to possibly even hundreds of students in a lecture hall, the number of frustrated students can increase quite dramatically from even a few bad apples. And these bad apples can also sometimes be responsible for spoiling more of the batch because humans are very social animals. A lazy and uncaring attitude can become quite contagious within a company or a professional field. Conversely, a hard-working and positive attitude can become quite contagious as well. So if we apply Pareto's principle and teachers as a microcosm, or much smaller example, of the world, we could then infer that the majority of us probably do want to cooperate rather than only being concerned with our own self-interests. However, this can sometimes be an incredible difficult thing to see when we're bombarded with stories about corruption, deceit, and violence. But let me ask you, what is harder to believe? That people who are non-cooperative are a minority of the problem, but their actions carry with them huge consequences, such as how many students a bad teacher can negatively affect, or that most of us are inherently non-cooperative. Because if that were true, wouldn't you then expect the world to have far more problems than it does? This is something you need to decide. Obviously, depending on your own experiences and perspectives, you may feel quite differently. But ask yourself really, is it possible that 20% or less of your experiences are accounting for 80% or more of your opinion on something? Now maybe you think to yourself, okay John, you've got a point, most of us are probably in fact cooperative. But due to issues like the sustainability stalemate, see episode 10, 
It would be an outrageously difficult feat to get the majority of countries to sign on to realistic and dramatic changes to sustainability. Well, this can be addressed by looking at adoption curves. Here's another one of our fast, and possibly too simplistic, explanations. An adoption curve attempts to show the speed at which things like new technologies are integrated into our existing world. It starts with innovators and early adopters, which makes up roughly 15% of the population. These are the people who are the first ones with a Facebook account, and the ones who purchased the first smartphones. This is typically the slowest part of the curve, although adoption curves are becoming quite steep these days due to a steadily increasing rate of world change. Then the next stage is the early and late majority, and this is effectively where you find the tipping point. The point where a new idea or product goes from being a cool novelty to almost being a necessity within a society. What's interesting is this comprises 68% of the population. This means that once you pass the point of innovators and early adopters, the adoption quickly starts to pick up steam. There is no need to convince everyone, just a small percentage of people. The innovators only make 2.5%. Ironically, the greatest challenge isn't trying to convince the whole world. It's locating the small group of innovators that help strategies, products, and new ideas gain traction. The initial stage of innovators and early adopters stand potentially the most to lose, but also possibly the most to gain. Part of the reason many risk-averse businesses start to adopt things in either the early or late majority phase. Typically, businesses that often find themselves at the downward leg of the curve will eventually go out of business if they are in a fast-changing industry. Much like we stated back in episode 12 when we discussed greenwashing, the environment is not something to be used as a competitive advantage for a business. It can, however, be used as a first-mover strategy, which also offers up significant advantages as well. For you non-business people, this means that there are advantages to being the first ones to adapt new ideas and strategies. Once most new technologies and ideas are somewhere around the 20% mark, many adoption curves spike upwards tremendously until adoption is almost universally accepted. Weird that there's that number again from the 80-20 rule. What this means is we don't even need to initially convince the majority of nations. If a few sincerely sign on and start to actually implement solutions, the rest are likely to follow. It is, after all, the best and most intelligent course of action for all of us to take this seriously. Is this naive? Maybe, but it's not uncommon for people to think that if a solution depends on global cooperation, then it cannot work. We've done our best to apply legitimate principles to show you this may not be the case. We only need a small portion of innovators and early adopters to get started. We choose to believe it, because if we don't, that means we have already lost the battle of sustainability. Cheers. Thanks for listening. As always, please share and forward this podcast. The first step towards realistic sustainability is in knowledge and discussion. And this can't happen without everyone's input. Please send any questions, comments, or angry teachers to viableunderdogs at gmail.com. We glossed over the ideas of Pareto's rule and the adoption curve. 
we encourage everyone to see if they can find more examples of uneven distribution and adoption curves and how they can help prove or disprove our theory that humanity is mostly cooperative. The conclusive result is ultimately yours to make. We can only present the evidence for our case. Our intro music is composed by Mark Kronowski and the music currently playing by Jonathan Atkinson. The report we mentioned on global emissions is the Carbon Majors Report, written in July 2017 by Dr. Paul Griffin. It can be found at cdp.net. The ethics article we mentioned, entitled Economics and Ethics, was published in September 1990 in the Journal of Business Ethics, Volume 9, written by B.J. Riley and M.J. Keech.